normally I like record just whatever I'm talking about with Michael just before it, it's like his trash can or it's stuff about family, kids, whatever. And then I just spring it on him and I'm just like, welcome back everyone to the reverse fantasy football podcast. This is your boy Danny Watson coming at you in the saddest of circumstances as my co-host and lifelong podcast partner, Michael Spangler, is out today with an undisclosed injury. He will not be joining the podcast. Maybe I can get him on the phone just to talk a little bit about something. Who knows? I don't know what I'm going to do for this podcast. All I know is that I'm deathly lonely by myself and I'm going to have to talk about things with no one to bounce any information off of. And I'm at least going to get through the stats and all your RFF junky stuff. And maybe I'll try to get Michael on the horn for notable negativity. Or maybe we'll just boot it to next week because there's so much that happened. And I just don't feel like talking about it all by my lonesome. Okay, so Michael, how was your weekend? That's good, man. Yeah, no, my trip to Ireland was great. Appreciate you asking that. I uh, had a good time. I know we planned to do this episode together on Thursday, and we had problems. So, you know what? What can I say except you're welcome? Because I watched Moana on the plane by myself coming home from Ireland. So now I know that reference. So now I'm deadly. Let's kick it off because I don't have anything to banter with. So I got nothing to even begin to say about Reverse Fantasy other than that it's a crazy week. And I'm very disappointed that I can't give you a normal episode with Michael Spangler, who is obviously the best part of the podcast. Anyway, so let's jump it in here to Woat of the Week for this week. Who do we got, Michael? Shit. Shit. I keep doing it. Okay, who do we got for Woat of the Week? Well, I'll tell you. Couple, you know, not a surprising week for players. No quarterbacks on here this week. We had the Texans defense rounding out the top of Woat of the Week with a decent negative seven performance. They lost 22-38, to 38 and they gave up 467 yards. But the important part about this is that they were getting schlaked 38-0 at the end of the third. So that, uh, that defense was getting pummeled. And um, they end up getting one sack to kind of save them. But really not a good performance at all from the Texans. But it's, it's, as expected, they were going against the Rams. So they pretty much did... Rams things. This was no, this was no, hey, we're going to come out and do a fake punt, an onside kick, et cetera, like the the Lions tried to get in there and do to them. Uh, they kind of just rolled over. So giving up negative seven on defense, solid start with the Texans defense. They've been doing it all year long. Next up, we have the Bears defense special teams, and they go negative six, lost 22 to 33. So they gave up 33 points. And again, oddly enough, they gave up 400 in 67 yards, so a very similar stat line, and they were going up against the Niners, so the Niners ended up kind of crushing, um, and that was a pretty big statement for them. They haven't been playing super well all year, but they do go into and house the Bears defense. The Bears defense, not a bad defense, really. They have a very good front, so kind of an impressive performance uh, to get all the way down to negative six. And then, of course, rounding out our road of the week, this week we have... The Lions head coach 
And they lost 44 to 6, boys. The dream is alive and well for 0 and 17. They are on a one way ticket. I mean, they scored six points in the fourth quarter. And this is to the Eagles. The Eagles ran for four touchdowns. I mean, you'll see later. I mean, he's coming up. And who the fuck is that guy? Uh, very responsible <laughs> piece of this to give up 44 points. We had a guy named Boston Scott. Okay, so I kind of just gave away the first one there for the who the fuck is that guy. I was going to do a let's play at home. And so we can do a let's play at home for the rest of these who the fuck is that guys. Um, but the first one is Boston Scott here, who I just mentioned is a, is a running back for the Eagles. He had 19.2 points on 12 carries, 60 yards and two TDs. Is a Philadelphia backup running back, uh, splitting time with an injured uh, Miles Sanders, I believe. So he comes in there and, and bodies and helps propel the pretty, very extremely mediocre Eagles above the Lions. So the Lions, <laughs> the sad kind of thing is the Lions had like a hot start to the season. But they, I mean, they still lost every game, but they were like in games, right? And then the Bengals kind of put the hurt on them. And they really have not gotten their head above water since. So the Bengals may have broken their spirit. Like if we lose the fucking Bengals, we are going 0-17 kind of thing. Um, and now that looks like a, a real possibility that the Lions are getting pummeled um, by mediocre teams, which is, that's that's the sign of a team that might lose it all. So 0-17 watch, hot and heavy. Uh, we kind of got through the, the first, who the fuck is that guy? Boston Scott. The rest of these play long at home here. I don't have Michael to humiliate you, honestly, because I, I'm done with this shit. I ain't doing the guessing anymore. Michael's got this down to a science. It's humiliating me, so I'm going to make him do it. I don't know. You know what? Maybe I'll have to do it because it's just so uninteresting when Michael does it because he just knows everything. But either way, I'm not going to guess right now, so you have no one to make you look good. And Michael's not here to guess. So you have no one to make you feel bad about yourself. So let's see if you can get... Any of the rest of these four players on the who the fuck is that guy? Next, we have an all-time name. I just know Michael would be pumped about this name, so I'm going to do it for him. Oh, all-time name. That's exactly what he would have said. Cyril Grayson. I'll say it again. Cyril Grayson. Dude, Cyrus the Virus. The motherfucker from, <laughs> I almost said snakes on a plane. Con Air, the classic Nick Cage film, the villain. Cyrus the virus has injected his name into Cyril Grayson going for 11.1 points a classic reverse fantasy stat line he had one catch for 50 yards in a TD Mr. Bombs only Operation Rolling Thunder who do you got for Cyril Grayson you can pause the video now okay if you guessed Tampa Bay wide receiver then I want you to pick up the phone and text Michael Spangler and tell him that you are better than him. Because I just know he would not have gotten that one. I just know it. Cyril Grayson, too much of an unknown. Who watches that shit? No one. Moving on here to the next one. We have Jesse James. Very familiar sounding name. Very familiar. I know he used to play for the Steelers. But what do you know about him? He had 10.1 points. Three catches for 38 yards and a TD. So he got into the game. Doing some damage. Pause the video now if you want to take a guess. It is, of course, 
well, not of course, it is a Chicago tight end. See, I knew he was a tight end because I knew he was a tight end for the Steelers. But it makes sense because the Chicago, uh, they, you know, well, you know what, maybe it doesn't make sense. But they did put up 21 points or 22 points. So not uh, the, the uh, most ridiculous thing for an, an unknown tight end to get in there and score a TD. Move it into one that I can't believe Michael put on here because this is a, I don't know if this is a very well-known player. He's definitely known, though, but not so much at the position he's on here for. We have Jamal Agnew. Jamal Agnew going another 10.1 points, six catches for 38 yards, and a TD. Who do you got for Jamal Agnew? Previously mentioned on the podcast, had uh, some crazy shit happen to him during the early parts of the season. He is a Jacksonville wide receiver, and he was responsible for the kick six that happened when the Jacksonville Jaguars almost upset the Arizona Cardinals earlier in the game, and they tried to kick that ridiculous 68-yard field goal, and Agnew housed it on the other end. So if you're an avid podcast listener, you might have got that. Maybe sprinkling in some bonus points here. And checking into the last one, we got Brevin Jordan. He had 10.4 points, three catches. 41 yards at a TD, Brevin. This is a nice name as well. And if you guessed a Houston tight end, then you need to turn your television off on Sundays. Go outside. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful world out there, guys. You can take a hike. You can pet a dog. Get off the damn couch if you know who Brevin Jordan is. And I'm talking to you, Michael. Get out. Turn red zone off, you piece of junk. Dorothy's trying to hang out with you. Stop knowing who Brevin Jordan is. <laughs> okay. Let's move it on here. Because I got no reason to pause. You know, I'm just trying to rip row through this shit, baby. And we're going to move it into Dangus D. We've already talked about two of these. We got the Texans defense putting up negative seven. And again, they gave up 38 points, 467 yards. And got smashed. The Bears defense was next with negative six. Again, 467 yards and gave it up 33 points. And then we had the Bucks and the Dolphins, oddly enough, coming in with negative one point. So not a crazy week for defenses. But it's kind of a surprise the Bucks defense ends up on there. Dolphins have been pretty bad this year. So nothing too crazy about that. But the Bucks going negative one. You know, that's a that's a solid defense, a Super Bowl contender. And they uh they lost. They straight up just lost to the Saints. And the Saints had their backup quarterback in. So that is impressive performance to take down uh, a Tom Brady-led team with the backup to Jameis motherfucking Winston. So there you go. Let's move it into feet of defeat here, though. We first have Sam Martin, the Broncos punter, putting up negative seven and a half on three punts. Two inside the 20, one inside the 10. So every time he, his foot hit the ball, he was doing something for you. Negative seven and a half points on three punts. Solid performance. Still waiting on that big one, though. Still waiting on our white whale of a negative 10 punting performance. Not happened this year. It seemed like it was, I don't know about common, but it definitely had happened a few times by this point in the season last year. So those feet need to step it up. And for the... Kicker, we have Austin Seibert, very familiar face, previous Bengals and Browns kicker. There's not many of those. And he scored negative two for the Lions. 
and he missed a 47-yarder, so he missed another <laughs> consolation kick to uh, to put them up, <laughs> to give them nine points, even though they still would have just gotten smushed 44-9. to But Austin Seibert really trying to rub it in for him. So, you know, friend of the podcast for that. Negative two on a missed 47-yarder. And that will move it to natural negatives. Pour some out for your boy because this is his favorite segment and he's not even here to witness it. Not a great week for it anyway. But we do have a few. We'll run through them. First, we have Kalen Balage, a Steelers running back, putting down a nice negative point two. He had one carry for negative three. Very, very standard. So doing nothing but the full detriment. Everything he did was bad. And same goes for Damian Williams as well, a Bears running back. With negative 0.1 points. This time he had two carries for negative three. So double dose of doing nothing. And it's like they have to just check a box. You know what I mean? They're like, well, we got to get Damian Williams this touch. Okay, negative three. Good. Move on. And of course, very similar story with returning podcaster from last week. We're talking back-to-back natural negatives. Impressive performance from She Smith, a Panthers running back. With negative 0.1 points, one carry for negative two. Damn near the exact same stat line as he had last week. He had one carry for negative three last week. Would have fit right in this week. And back-to-back negative performances. You know that means he's gunning for a Ray Ray McLeod frequent flyer mile award. So we'll see. We shall see if she, Smith, can get it done with a couple more appearances on the podcast before the end of the year. But so far, so good. A promising star for Reverse Fantasy. Nothing eye-popping yet. No fumbles, nothing like that. No incompletions. But just going back-to-back with one carry for negative, I mean, that's not much more you can ask for on your Reverse Fantasy football team. Speaking of full teams, let's move it into worst of the best for this week. So here we got the... Star players putting up the low, low numbers. And the names on this week are pretty astounding. Worst of the best this week. Kyler Murray. Leonard Fournette. DeAndre Swift. James Robinson. Scary Terry McLaurin. Justin Jefferson. Travis Kelsey. The Bucks defense and Graham Gano. All of those are starters in any fantasy football league. Every single one of them. Put up a Peasley 30.6 points. 30.6. Yuck. I mean, that's that's Kelsey getting 0.7. Justin Jefferson getting 2.1. Bucks defense, we talked about him going negative. And Kyler Murray, with the best score of them all, obviously, is a QB, but still only putting up nine. I mean, that's a legit... And this is normal fantasy stats. You got to understand, like, that means in reverse fantasy stats, he was way, way lower. And he is one of the, he's probably the top quarterback in the league as far as fantasy stats goes. In the previous week, they put up 115, which might not sound like a lot, but they had two players on bye last last week as well. So they're missing out two full players. And those are just eye-popping names rather than more than eye-popping numbers. But only putting up 30 this week. Uh, is it compared to 115 last week? So the point differential is still not the uh, all-time record of like 180 or whatever the fuck that was. Insanity. But definitely uh, some names that that kind of shocked you going out uh, in, in week uh, eight here. 
And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, we got the Lull Star team back in business. And this is, you know, really not unbelievable numbers for the Lull Star team just because there was no quarterbacks that did really all that bad. We got PJ Walker, Kalen Balaj, Damian Williams, Anthony McFarland Jr., of course, She Smith, Ty Montgomery, Kylan Grandson. Now there's a name. Grandson. I love that band, actually. Pretty fun. But Kylan Grandson, I'm really putting up a nice point one for you. Texans D and special teams. Sam Martin, the punter, Austin Cyber, the kicker, and the Lions head coach for a total of negative 21.6. So nothing wild because we didn't have we didn't have natural negatives. It had a lot of fumbles. We didn't have a big quarterback performance. We didn't have a big kicker performance. Uh, the punter was solid, but everything else kind of just, you know, hovering around that that less than a point marker uh, for a negative 21.6. So a decent all-star team, but nothing uh, really crazy. And that will wrap up our stat, you know, our bookkeeping portion of the episode here. At least I got that out. And then it's TBD. At this point, if I'm going to try to hit some notable negativity, if the podcast continues beyond this point, it means I had a change of heart. You know, I I wanted to bring you all something. If the podcast abruptly ends, I'm sorry. You know, if you start hearing music right now and it's fading out and you're like, holy shit, he's really just going to end this goddamn podcast. Well, then there it is. I'm sorry. All right. Fine. I'll talk about the Bengals. (laughs) It would be disingenuous. Did not do a shred of notable negativity here and talk about how the Bengals got completely fucking housed by Mike White and the Jets. I know that's what you tuned in for. I can't just skate over this one. Bengals going to New York City, expecting to crush the hapless Jets. and They're fresh off their hot win. And they come out and give up 416 passing yards to Mike White the second-string quarterback behind Woad of the Week of the Year candidate Zach Wilson. So someone worse than that. You know, I say, imagine how dumb the average person is and then half the people on earth are dumber than that. That's what this felt like. Mike White comes in and just dices up the Bengals, throws for all kinds of touchdowns, throws two picks, but they're pretty much deflections off receivers' hands. Really not even his fault. And the Bengals can't keep up, even with their offense doing decently, and even with getting three turnovers, still can't keep up with Mike White. It was the first time since Vinny Testaverde that a New York Jets quarterback has thrown for over 400 yards. So I barely even know who that is. I'm not going to lie to you. I know he's a journeyman. I know he played for Tampa Bay. I know he's like the OG Fitzpatrick. And so he was the last 400-yard passer for the Jets. Somehow, Jesus Christ. But then they have Mike White come out and just crush the Bengals. (sighs) I had to give it up. And I guess, you know, that's all I really wanted to talk about. Make sure I got it in there. Rest of this stuff we'll talk about more when Michael gets back next week. So again, signing off. And we will see you all this coming fall in one more week for a a big episode. Because Michael owes me one. All right, it was a joke, boys. It was all a joke. I did not end the podcast. Instead, I was able to finagle the first season two podcast guest. Let's go. We have with us here 
league member and fantasy reverse fantasy football veteran on to talk about his experience as the new resident Browns fan. Sorry, Michael. Eli, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to be here. Uh, hopefully, you will come to know me as your favorite Browns expert. But <laughs> it's it's fun to be in the room after being a longtime listener. Uh, this feels pretty special, to be honest. I, I love that, Eli. You are no lower than the number two resident Browns fan in this reverse fantasy football league. So you know, there's no shame in top two, and we'll let the fans vote on who who has the better Browns insight. If it's Eli or a Michael who didn't even bother to show up to this episode. Okay, we'll tweet at the podcast. Everybody text in your votes who your favorite Browns fan is. I love that. And actually, Eli, why don't you go ahead and introduce the Twitter because I forgot to do that at the top of the episode. Ooh, at reverse fantasy. <laughs> Gotta say, I don't have a Twitter, so I don't <laughs> actually know what the handle is. <laughs> All right, that was a tough one I put on you as a guest to know. It's at Reverse Football. Tweet us uh, who your favorite Browns fan is that we have on the show and uh, other reverse fantasy items. But let's jump into it here. We got I wanted to at least do a little bit of a notable negativity for uh, the Bengals, as I just discussed. And now I, we got to jump into the Browns here because the Browns also had an interesting week. And it ends up with... Really, the beginning of the Donovan Peoples-Jones era by subtraction. Eli, what happened this week with OBJ and his now-forgotten team, the Browns? Uh, Okay, well, when you call it an interesting week, I feel like I can hear the air quotes dripping off of the word (laughs) interesting. Yeah. Uh, It feels disappointing. It feels super disappointing. As a lifelong Browns fan, the last couple of years have been Super exciting. Historic playoff win. Watching us just beat the ever-loving crap out of the Steelers. That was awesome. And this week, it feels like you hear the phrase same old Browns thrown around a lot. Mm. And I don't want to be <laughs> uh, too <laughs> no. hopeless. I don't want to be too hopeless. But I this week sucks because it feels like a little bit of that same old Browns vibe starting to come back in. Uh, the, the long story short is... OBJ doesn't want to play for the Browns, and he will not anymore. So has this been going on all season, or is this something that just happened in the last week? Because everyone saw (laughs) this Instagram video that was sent out by Odell Beckham Sr. of just like an 11-minute long clip of Baker missing OBJ when it's open. Is that legit, or what? Is it like overblown or is this a whole, really a whole season worth so far of uh, incontent, malcontent? There is, there's a lot of speculation, dude, honestly, because the Browns have been fairly tight lipped about it. Although everybody and their mom can see what's happening on Instagram. Uh, yeah. But I, fans are a little split. You look at the, the Browns subreddit and everybody's got their own idea, but a lot of people think, and there's pretty good evidence if you watch the games closely, that OBJ has been checked out for a while. And he's mm-hmm. been injured a lot, and he's been a huge source of source of contention as to, like, everybody talks about the Baker-OBJ chemistry issue, right? Right. Um, so people have been talking about that for ages, but a lot of people were starting to say, like, He's checked out. He doesn't want to be here. And you you never know if that's just like the whole national media OBJ thing where yeah. he's always a story or if it's real. And 
it turns out it's fairly real, but I got to say, I think there's more to it because I was on my phone before this recording looking at stuff and Andrew Barry, Brown's GM, is coming out and saying like, I forget the exact wording, but basically, hey guys, there's more stuff going on behind the scenes that is quote unquote not appropriate to discuss. Damn. So it might even go deeper, but yeah, I, you're right. I mean, in the chemistry between, there was always like a meme that the Browns are better when OBJ's hurt, right? And they, he never really had those explosive seasons that he had when he was on the Giants. And so now his contract just looks super terrible. And so it, it almost looks like a, just a normal business decision to cut him. I don't think many people would even argue with it just from a production standpoint, but there's, there's clearly some locker room shit happening too. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with it from a production standpoint, but you're right, his contract is big, and what he has essentially forced the Browns into doing yeah. is to cut him, pay his entire salary. I know they were talking to him about like reducing that in a way, but essentially, we're paying his entire salary for this year, and he's going to waivers, and some other team can pick him up now for what... You know, he hasn't really had what I would call a good season in like five years right. since the Giants, pretty much, but... I mean, he could, if he could get healthy, help you. And that just, that hurts for the Browns. But you can't argue everybody seeing the stats of Baker Mayfield with or without OBJ. <laughs> yeah, and shocking. Nobody knows. Like, is the chemistry not there? People say OBJ, like, freestyles all his routes. But, like, the stats have been undeniably different with and without OBJ. Yeah, so you know what this about that, and the best part about it is we get to see a longtime podcast veteran get his real day in the sun, man. He was on a Who the fuck is that guy last year? Who the fuck are these Peoples Jones, Donovan Peoples Jones? And now every time uh, OBJ is out, he looks like a he looks like a true number one. So maybe you have a diamond in the rough here that's going to get his time. People are hopeful about Donovan Peoples Jones, and and you specifically mentioned uh, Browns Bengals a little bit ago, but. Any Browns and Bengals fans will likely remember, was it last year? The Browns-Bengals game where Baker Mayfield goes on like a one-minute drive down the entire field, and the game-winning touchdown was to DPJ, like toe-tapping side of the end zone. It was amazing. It was an amazing throw and an amazing catch, and and we deserved to lose that game because of that. I mean, Burrow had just orchestrated his like signature game-winning drive, should have been game-winning drive. And then Baker goes out and does it with an even more obscure cast of Donovan Peoples-Jones catching it. And it was brilliant. Honestly, whoever won that game, like that was a sick game either way because yeah. Joe Burrow put together what in reality should have been a game-winning drive. And I remember sitting there and thinking, damn, Joe Burrow's freaking Yeah, good. and you're like, this is what it's going to be like between Browns and Bengals for the next 10 years, which is exciting. And it's a good segue here into this week. We got... Browns going against the Bengals, and we have more depressing Brown stats. Just, I had to bring you on just to tell you all the sad things that you already knew. <laughs> Standing in for Michael, right, he's like, do "Don't tell me man. that." But do your um, worst to break my heart. Yeah, exactly. So we have here, and it's on the stat sheet, Eli. This isn't me, you know, just just saying this for no reason. Someone put this on this sheet, so I have to say it. And it's the Browns are 0 and 8 when playing in games called by Tony Romo. And I know this hurts Michael so bad because Michael loves Tony Romo and the Browns, and they've never worked together. They never work together. And this is a actually a mildly hot topic in the Browns sphere, but 
I used to be in the same boat as Michael. I used to love Tony Romo, but <laughs> I obviously I'm biased. I will full disclosure. I'm biased because the Browns always lose when he calls our games. But the first season he came on as a commentator, I was like, wow, this is great. Tony Romo's so smart. He's analyzing all these plays. And the more I watch him, or the more time has gone on, I don't know if he has pressure from the league, but tell me if you feel the same, Danny. He, he started doing this thing where he like very repeatedly praises the people that he loves, like like Pat Mahomes, no matter what he does, Tony Romo will just go off on how incredible he is. Right. And also with the, the refs, he like, I feel like there's terrible calls right in front of him. And he's always like, well, yeah, that's a pretty good call. Yeah, you see if you think he's kind of like lost a little bit of the uh, announcer outsider vibe. You know, he's like, he's no longer like just like, oh, I'm fresh off plane. So I'm going to speak my mind and just tell you everything about the game and all that. Now he's just like, I'm a full blown commentator. So I'm going to do commentator cliche shit and just pile on praise, even if a player's not playing well, because that's the storyline we're pushing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have the Bengals until, you know, this year, we're not really good enough to be commentated on by Tony Romo to get the, the number one crowd uh, from CBS. So we'll see. I mean, I'll be watching it Sunday because, of course, this Sunday, Nance and Romo commentating Bengals Browns. We'll see if the Browns can break the curse. I, I really hope that we turn into one and eight with uh, <laughs> Romo on our games, but. It doesn't feel super hopeful at this moment in time, but I am really hoping that DPJ can step up. We've seen some really good Browns Bengals games lately, so yes. hopefully it's fun. Yeah, man. So fun, fun fact: this is the like third or fourth time since the turn of the millennium that the Browns and Bengals have played, and both have been at or above five hundred. Wow! Seriously? It's, yeah, like so, like four out of forty time. times. And two of them were in 2014. You remember that season when the Browns had a hot start? Yep. And yeah, then came out strong and then it fizzled. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd was chanting Brian Hoyer, Hoyer at Paul Brown Stadium. <laughs> Dalton had a passer rating of two. Two. That was two? Oh my God. embarrassing game. Um, and then <laughs> the best part about this whole thing is that there was even a home opener for the Bengals where both teams weren't at or above 500. It was an, or it was not even a home opener. It was the opening game of the season for the Bengals. So the opening week and neither team was at or above 500 because they had first week buys. <laughs> and so they come in and it's their first game and uh, the Browns were 0 and 1 and the Bengals were 0 and 0. So we still had a losing team. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. That is kind of a weird stat that you wouldn't expect to hear. Yeah, it was. It's uh. So this is a. It's exciting to now. I mean, we kind of launched this podcast under the guys that were two longtime suffering fans because the Bengals and the Browns are trash. But this year, you know, we get our time in the sun and we get to talk about, uh, you know, big big star players that are playing poorly like uh, OBJ, and not just our trash team. So it's a fun uh, fun matchup, and uh, I do want to thank you, Eli, for coming on here and, and helping to discuss the Brown saga this week. And I'm hope we'll have you back on the podcast again soon. I hope so too. It's been a great experience. Happy to share my Brown's knowledge and give the fans a taste of my suffering. <laughs> Just a taste. Thanks. <laughs> Just a taste. That's all you get.